Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Marshall, it's a beautiful tie. This is as close to green as I could get. Happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you. Yeah. Yeah. You messed up again. I did. Again. Yep. Once again. And you're the clothes hog. <laughs> you couldn't find a green shirt. No. Green socks. No, no. nothing. Guys, we are uh, we're in the midst of spring break. <laughs> Phil is one of the few that I know that continues to take spring break. <laughs> he uh, didn't have enough of it in college. Maybe he didn't have enough college, but he got a lot, lot of those initials behind his name. So he continues to take spring break. And I was just talking to uh, oh, Ricky and Jeff earlier. Man, if you had any idea what his schedule was like, gosh. We went to Memphis two years ago or maybe a, a year and a half ago for Tim Atkinson's funeral. And uh, he was sharing with Walter that morning what his schedule was like. That man's burning a candle at both ends and a little bit in the middle. So for him to take a week off, I certainly appreciate him doing that, recharging his batteries and getting back to his center point. We're uh, we're meeting this morning, and uh, we have special guest here. I'll let Roan introduce uh, a good friend, someone that's uh, very strong in this community, and, and uh, somebody that I'm glad to have here with us. We're continuing in the study of Isaiah, relationships, broken pieces. How does God take those broken pieces and reassemble them? I'll share with you as I continue in my own personal journey. I just wake up every day to see what God has. Where are we today, God? Where's an opportunity for me to speak to somebody? Where's the opportunity for me to be spoken to? Protect me from the enemy. Help me keep my eyes focused on you. I'm glad to be a part of this group. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for Ceasefire, for the leadership team and for the group of men that are here, for the families that are represented. God, doing life with a group of men as a man is the only way I know to do it. Through encouragement, through support, through fellowship. Where two or more gathered, you were there. We feel your presence. We ask you to open our hearts, to pour into us, open our ears so we hear the message. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Um, it's always great to be here and uh, be able to share with you guys. Um, Phil is actually uh, at Daytona Beach. Don't, don't, yeah, Joe, he's, he's partying. Um, he, he wants to be back at uh, University of Tennessee. He thinks he still is. Uh, they, they made it to the NCAA tournament and uh, Phil's just beside himself. So he decided to go party for spring break in Daytona Beach. Um, so hopefully he'll survive. Um, so um, we've got a, a special guest. Uh, ben Derrick um, is uh, a guy that has a, a, a heart for this as much as Phil and I do, and uh, really reaching the hearts of men and changing lives, impacting lives. Um, and uh, Ben's going to come up and we're going to share kind of, I'm, I'm going to grill him a little bit and um, kind of talk about where he's at and what's going on in his life. Um, but first, uh, we have a song and 
And you'll be glad to know it's not like uh, Mahalia Jackson, uh, a black and white clip from the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, I actually told, I told Ben to pick the music because uh, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago about we, we need to get some young guys here. Um, yeah, we're, we're all old and man, we need some young guys or we're just going to start dying off and yeah, we'll be done. So um, the song we're going to play um, and just, you know, read the lyrics. Um, Travis Meadows uh, is actually, uh, I think, uh, from South Jackson. And um, uh, interesting story, interesting guy. And so uh, listen to the words. Um, uh, the words are on your sheet. And it's about uh, how things come out sideways when we don't deal with it.
push it down and it comes out sideways. Um, so guys, we've been doing the series um, and using the book Renovated uh, by James Wilder. And uh, I think the subtitle of that book is like uh, Becoming a Church or That Transforms or, or the, the Transformed Church. Um, and I don't believe that's possible. Uh, the only way a church transforms is if individuals transform. It's like I, I tell couples all the time uh, in marriage counseling, there's no such thing as marriage counseling, right? All you got there is you got two individuals and you got to have two individuals that are willing to grow and willing to change. Uh, Dallas Willard, who James Wilder, that's where the kind of the anchor piece in his book comes from. Dallas Willard always said that um, the main thing in life, one of the main things is you've got to be willing to be willing. You may not know how to do it. You may not know what to do, but you got to be willing to be willing to change it. And so um, we're going to kind of get away from the regular series, but it all ties together because we're going to talk about growth and how people grow. Um, you know, just I mentioned Phil and, you know, we all know Phil is transitioning. <laughs> Didn't land, sorry. Rewrite no, that one. Nobody got that. <laughs> nobody got it. Yeah, rewrite it. Nobody, no. <laughs> well, Ben is transitioning in a different way than Phil is transitioning. Thank God. And I love to say that. I love to say that to be a dude. Uh, so excited about your transitioning. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I just, uh, Ben's going to, we're just going to share a little bit. Um, and then uh, Phil's going to be out, I think, I don't know, about six times. And uh, Ben and I are just going to team teach. Um, I always like that dynamic because, uh, you know, when I do it with Phil, most of it just, I spend a lot of time making fun of Phil, and that, that's just fun, right. and uh, Ben likes to make fun of me, so, and vice versa, um, so um, why don't you just share with these guys uh, just kind of what's going on in your life, sure. um, and what you're stepping out to begin doing, and, um, and kind of how you got there. Yeah, well, I think that's actually the most important part. Um, it's been an, an interesting part of being a professional Christian, working on a church staff, being a Christian nonprofit. People make a gigantic amounts of assumptions about you and about your story. And that's actually been a way that I've been able to hide as an adult male to kind of behind the veil of religion and, and working inside of Christian organizations. Uh, but about five years ago, I've, I've learned this is actually the reverse. About five years ago, I attended the deer camp. And Phil offended me and Roan comforted me, which is, had to be God because that's, that's exactly that's, backwards. That's backwards. It usually <laughs> yeah. goes the exact other way. That's right. So um, I shared my story, which is just a nerve wracking experience for, for most of us. And uh, just being pushed in that uh, realm where you just got to reveal. And um, so I did that and uh, shared some stuff about my relationship with my dad. I don't know if you guys caught that lyric, but. Uh, the only man that ever broke my heart, man, that, that song is just full of, of imagery there. Uh, I, you know, shared some stuff. I was really proud of myself. I almost did an altar call at the end right there at deer camp. And uh, Phil, Phil looks at me in that. Um, well, I can't say that publicly, but he looks at me in that way. And he says, if you weren't a pastor, 
what would you be? And I almost came out of my camping chair to pop him in the teeth. And uh, when he was old, I was afraid I may kill him, so I didn't do that. <laughs> but um, it just radically offended me. But come to find out, that, that sent me on a five-year journey of trying to figure out actually who I am. And I've realized over the years that I'm, I'm an extreme codependent covered in a religious blanket with a desperate need for validation. I had no idea how to say that on that deck. Um, I was able to say, well, I am who other people want me to be. Uh, which and, is and I think that works pretty well in a, in a church setting as a pastor, right? Yeah. Well, that's on the resume, just in degrees <laughs> and different things, you know? So yeah. um, it, it was just a perfect place for, for me to hide. But here's another critical piece. It was a perfect place for God to develop me for me to figure out that those things, those intellectual pursuits, those religious pursuits can do a lot of good, uh, but they can also camouflage your need to engage your emotional base. And that's exactly what I did. Um, just a brief story. I'm a cancer survivor at 17 and I can remember sitting in my uh, parents' kitchen and we were having a discussion about me going to treatment to be radiated, you know, basically where they just kind of set the yard on fire and, and kill the weeds and let the good stuff grow back. And I spent a solid 45 minutes uh, persuading my parents. I'm a persuasive codependent, which is very dangerous. <laughs> persuading my parents at 17 that I needed to be able to drive to radiation myself because that's what I should do. And my parents loved me very much, but they actually fell for that big speech. And I ended up getting in, in my Jeep and driving down to uh, um, Baptist Hospital to take radiation alone at 17. Um, so that that's just kind of an indicator of the pattern that I, that I was in. So after Phil asked me that question, you pull me aside and say, look, man, you're your own worst critic. <laughs> and I said, man, I don't know what God's up to, but I just know I'm getting hit with truth right now. And thankfully, God gave me the courage uh, and, and fortitude to deal with those things that I was hearing. So it's, uh, this is the end of a pretty long journey. It feels pretty sudden for folks. One day you're a pastor, the next day you're not going to be. Everybody thinks there's some kind of sexual indiscretion that has happened. Just always. always, you know, <laughs> who stole money, who slept with who. Uh, but that's not the story here at all. Mm -hmm. It's actually a beautiful picture of when a man is forced into a journey by a loving God to actually discover who he is, which gets us to the question that's asked at Deer Camp all the time. What do you want? And I had to answer that question, honestly, I have no idea. I just wish you would tell me what I'm supposed to want. And uh, God has just carefully tilled the soil uh, in my life and in the relationships around me, which is also very critical for me to be able to say, what I want is to be able to get to the business of sitting with men, as many as possible on a very regular basis to help them uncross and untangle the wires so that they can live into their purpose like I'm learning to live into my purpose. So. I'm going to be able to do that um, starting in April. I'll be able to kind of straddle the fence of church work. And you know what happens when you straddle the fence, but I'll be in a church work and also sitting with men, um, being a, a biblical counselor to try to help them integrate some stuff that maybe they've never learned before. So, you know, that's the usual story that we get when, when a pastor gets called, you know, kind of God shows up and, right. Another lightning, assignment. Lightning yeah. bolts or yeah. something, and you get the phone call, and you get called to Beulah Baptist Church, and we wish Brother Rubber well. Mm. Isn't that how it works? And that's how it worked for you, right? Yeah. It's just an instant, yeah. yeah, go and do this. Uh, yeah, a moment of realization by myself <laughs> in an office on a Saturday night before a Sunday sermon. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not at all how it happened. In fact, it would have been easier, and there's actually a whole 
uh, study of the construct out there of, of pastors who self-sabotage so that they can leave ministry, so that they can get on with what God has, has built them to do. So it, my time in church work is, has been amazing. Uh, but as God often calls you to do, it's time to move on to the thing that he's calling you to do, not the thing that you're most comfortable doing. So that's mm -hmm. where I'm sitting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, talk about the hangar and just kind of how that evolved um, after deer camp. Yeah, well, like you said, I realized um, that everyone who's uh, involved at deer camp is, you know, in their second or third or fourth half of life. So uh, <laughs> we needed to reach out. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Um, I realized that, yeah, yeah, the lessons that I was taking back from deer camp and talking to my peers about, uh, I was getting the blank stare and they, they hadn't heard that information. And, it, and as horrible as it is, pursuing um, therapy or counseling or environments that are parachurch, it's just not something that the Southern culture has determined is quite okay yet. So when you start engaging 40 and 30 year olds, they, they just don't know what to do with the information you're, you're giving them. But I saw it make a connect and I saw men's lives changing, men's relationships with their wives changing, their relationships with their father changing with just a little bit of information that they hadn't been given yet. So uh, we decided as a group of guys, there are more people that need to hear this message than can get to a particular ministry event. Why don't we do something here locally for guys and see what happens? And, and here we are. So we're basically just uh, hijacking or following the model that you and Phil have built over the years and trying to replicate that, thankfully, with your blessing. Absolutely. Um, that's what it's all about, you know, uh, seeing something and then going and, um, man, developing that and just passing it on. That's uh, right. Multiplication. Um, and I still have to buy a cowboy hat, by the way. That's yeah, a, no, don't. don't that's do part that. of the model. No, 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 don't do that. That that's <laughs> Phil. That's his Halloween costume. Yeah, <laughs> it's not real at all. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, the hangar. Uh, tell these guys why that where that name came from. Yeah, well, following the model of, of Deer Camp, actually, we knew that if we were going to get the type of men that we wanted to engage with to hear the message, it could not be in a church. That was our, our little literal foundation of this. We can't invite them to a church building. We've got to do it outside of the church. And a man named Steve said, hey, my, my plane is parked at the hangar at the Madison Airport. Why don't we just do it there? And I said, great, let's do it. What should we call it? And I'm uh, abysmal and naming things. Very creative. Let's just call it the hangar, you know, which people <laughs> automatically assume is like a hangar in a closet. So typical ministry stuff, very confusing, but that's why it's called the hangar, why the name is stuck. We've moved on from that location, but thankfully over the years, the hangar, that name kind of embodies a culture more than it does a geographic location. And uh, that's going to, I think, part of God's design for us to be able to scale and uh, hopefully to impact a million men across the world over time. Mm -hmm. So as God began to unfold um, this this kind of new part of you, this new uh, kind of direction, um, like I know that you uh, certainly sought um, a lot of feedback and, and just the process that you've gone through in kind of moving to this point. As you said, it was five years. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that like as you... Uh, moved in this direction or God moved you in this direction in the beginning it was awesome then it was uh, terrible and I wanted out and then it became awesome again in fact I kind of wish somebody would have warned me about that as I was exiting 
a, a deer camp, but I, I, I became so alive realizing there's a whole internal world that I had pushed down or that I had refused to acknowledge because it was too painful or it didn't fit the religious narrative. I could find it in the Bible, but I couldn't find it in my Christian community. So there was a huge disconnect there. Um, I started to wake up to my interior world uh, that I had tried to ignore. And that caused a lot of rapid change in me, which was an incredible feeling. When you start putting pieces together in your own story, I mean, it's, it's almost like a drug. Like I figured this out. This is unbelievable. The only problem was my wife wasn't on that same journey at that same pace. And I didn't care. You know, uh, I said, look, I've got some freedom and you're either going to catch up or you're, or you're going to catch up. I only gave her two options. And um, she said, well, that's your journey and it's not mine. And thankfully I've learned to respect her journey and what she needed to pace through, but it led to some difficulties. She would admit in my marriage there in the beginning, uh, which allowed me to dig in deeper to try mm. to figure out well, what's going on here? I thought everybody would be excited about my sudden maturity and development. And uh, so after that, I was able to run into things that you figure out on this health journey. I remember one day sitting in your office, um, you listened and I was like, man, he's, he's got going to have something smart to say. And um, you feel no like there. Yeah, I like there. And then you just slid that feelings wheel across to me. I don't know if you guys have had this experience. And I looked up dumbfounded there are that many feelings. And, uh, and then you laughed at me. And so being able to pinpoint different things like that, that there are men uh, and women that have gone before us that are the guides to that interior journey that can help us through that. And uh, that's why it's taken so long. If I ignored it for 30 years, I wasn't going to fix it in 30 minutes. Yeah. It, it only took you five years to kind of get Cami on board. It took me 25. <laughs> that, 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 yeah 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 she's a good woman <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. well i think he was just smart uh, there you go. Yeah, not that yeah, came yeah Cammy believed i'd changed more than i actually had that's yeah. where that's where that comes in yeah uh early in recovery uh you know this was back in 1990 and i mean i i mean god did a work in my life and i mean everything was like man just the freedom of, of no more hidden sin and secrets and uh, I believe that God was calling me to be a pastor. And so, don't we all? Oh, well, what else? What else? <laughs> what do you else? do? Right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or, or missionary, the, the Holy Grail in Christendom. Um, and so, you know, I share this with Eva. Yeah, I, that, didn't, that didn't work. That didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, yeah, 25 years later, yeah, I wound up being, moving into counseling uh, ministry. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, the journey that God takes us on that we we couldn't predict. And even if we try to plan, we, we don't ever really hit it at 100%. But where we find ourselves, God uses. I think that's a lesson that I've really had to face over the past couple of years. Um, all of this wasn't by my design and all of your story isn't by your design. Mm -hmm. uh, but according to Paul and according to Joseph, God's able to use whatever he wants and turn it into a good thing. And that's kind of been the story of my meandering in my journey. I look back and, and have a lot of regret and a lot of shame over the ways that I treated people or the things that I said, even with a religious motivation, even from a pulpit in a church years ago. Uh, but God has used all that to get me here. And it feels rich and productive and purposeful. And that's only due to the hands of God. And, and your story, I'm sure you'd say is the same. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like my plan B was, you know, yeah, I, no way would I ever thought I'd be doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Yeah. Um, 
so let's let's talk about growth and um, and just this idea of um, emotionally healthy spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say, and I think it's maybe on the handout somewhere, but uh, I I don't believe that there's any such thing as spiritual growth. Uh, growth is growth, period. The soul is all interconnected, um, and if you if you're growing spiritually, you're growing. Right, and if you're growing uh, emotionally, you're it's growth. Uh, it, it you can't separate it. And I think, and again, uh, not you just you were an insider in the church, but it seems that that one of the things that I heard consistently in here in church is this idea of if I just get more knowledge, more Bible, um, pray harder, all the things that we've heard, somehow I'm going to grow. Yeah, which is, I mean, is absolutely myth. And the, the place to go to debunk that myth is the life of Jesus, which thank God for Jesus. Right? <laughs> um, Amen. Who, who walked the earth and showed us what true masculinity and true growth was like as, as an individual, but also guided other people in doing that. The position I take, and I think one that you take as well, is that we can use spiritual growth as a smokescreen for avoidance. That's a lot, a lot of what men do. And it's not that we have a, a negative motivation or malicious intent. It just feels like the model that we're given. Well, now that you've recognized your depravity, that's a big word that churches like to throw around. Now you need to get involved in spiritual growth. And what that means is you need to be comfortable being as feminine as possible when you engage God. Uh, sweet and nice, sweet and nice, uh, willing to show up, willing to serve and you, your spouse, yeah, your, oh. your spouse or Kroger can, can bake the brownies, but it's going to be <laughs> your job to carry the nine by 13 into the church supper, you know, and we want to make sure that we can control how this goes and we can make sure that you integrate into a model that we have that is extremely dependent upon men being like women relationally. And then we get frustrated years later when that just doesn't work for us and we're pushing stuff down and it starts coming out sideways. And that very model has no idea how to engage us as men. It's a huge problem in the modern church that I believe God is waking the church up to. And certain churches are trying to solve in the best way they know how. The one that I'm working for, I would put in that number, thank God. Uh, but part of the, the roadblock to growth and development, I think, for men is that we've put a fence around it around growth. We've called it spiritual growth. And it looks like uh, engaging and singing at a highly emotional level, sitting and staying quiet like we did in second or third grade, or somebody's going to move our clip or give us a a different color star. (laughs) And then we walk out and we're thinking, how in the world is that supposed to touch the chaos that I'm living in? So I kind of what I hear you saying is that like parking lot ministry is not deep discipleship is that or is it not deep discipleship you know in fact if you look at the life of jesus what he's consistently saying over and over again is not listen to this he's Mm. consistently saying follow me watch me engage be with me and he handles men being upset and he handles men saying the wrong thing he handles men cutting other men's ears off and he handles men betraying him all these things are there But unfortunately, and I have felt this tension as a pastor, the mode of self-preservation begins to infect the way that we present Jesus to people. 
We want to make sure that Jesus is exactly how we need the men in our church to be so that we can keep our job long term and everybody can stay happy and the money can keep rolling in. In its, uh, in its worst state, the church can be a very dangerous place that's inhospitable to growth. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, you and I have talked about this uh, quite a bit in just the idea of the feminization of church. I mean, the, the culture has become feminized. And certainly that has seeped into uh, into the church. Mm-hmm. And um, I often say that so many times I uh, look across uh, the church and the aisles and and I see men that are just really bored um, and just they're you, there. You think you see them bored. I'm on the stage. Yeah, I'm yeah. You get to you're trying to bored. you're trying to talk to them. I know I'm, I'm just, lost I'm just looking yeah. at them. When I see the glow of the iPhone on a man's face. <laughs> Even if it's the Bible app. No, no, it's always the Bible app. <laughs> like I've lost yeah, him. He, yeah. he is not engaged. Yeah, and that's not his fault. It's probably mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's just, it, it's the model. Um, and it's, it's uh, as Paul David Tripp in his book, Dangerous Calling, says that, you know, it's a systemic problem that goes all the way to the way that pastors are trained uh, and then how to do church and then how that moves into the institutional setting and it's just a systemic problem from beginning to end Um, and and it's you know it's hard to change that Um, and I always say I believe Jesus operated on the fringes Um, he wasn't big on the institution Uh, at least the one that the stories that I read uh, he he really kind of didn't like those guys a whole lot or they they at least argued a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he loved them very much, but sometimes it seems like he didn't like them very much, right? <laughs> uh, but that's what honesty feels like. That's that was my experience at Deer Camp. Man, these guys must really not like me. Maybe they don't like pastors here. You know, it's kind of the question that I'm asking. But we like some. Yeah, when yeah. you see when you see Jesus interact with the religious, he has some of his strongest language, and he doesn't clean it up afterwards. He doesn't come back and, and reconcile in, in some office somewhere. He just speaks the truth, and he lets those men deal with the truth. I believe pretty passionately, having worked in the church for 10 years, if the church is going to change, it won't be because of the man in the pulpit, it will be because of the men in the pews. That's the hope for change inside of the American church. And I believe God desperately desires for that to happen. And I believe he's setting men up in the pastorate so that churches will be open to that groundswell. This is how revival always happens. It doesn't happen with the man in the latest Lifeway bestseller in his office figuring out how to give a great speech. There are problems in our culture that sermons and speeches will not solve. It must be a real engagement with the real person of Jesus Christ. And that's that's what's happening to the men who are gathered here, who are watching. That's what's happened to us. Look at the change that's resulted. Yeah, um, I always say it's kind of like uh, undercover Jesus in some of this work. You know, you just you grab a guy and you say, hey, man, yeah. I found some bread, and this bread is really good. It's mm-hmm. not stale. It's not moldy. You ought to come check this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, it's amazing how guys just, boy, once they taste of it, it's what they're longing for and not even knowing it, um, but it's authenticity, it's honesty, it's truth. Uh, it's, it's just very genuine. Yeah, no doubt about it. What God is up to is, pretty exciting if you look at it from that point of view that he's unwilling for man to destroy what he has blessed and put together i mean we say that kind of stuff all the time in church language but god is on a rescue mission for the church and it's evident right here 
what God is up to. Yeah, and um, you know, throughout church history, um, when the the thing that always has to has preceded revival is repentance, and I believe that you know it, it's men, and I'm not you know God bless women, uh, but but there's a thread throughout Scripture. And God calls us men uh, from the beginning uh, when he named us Zakar, right? Uh, that's the Hebrew word for man in Genesis chapter 2. And it means the remembering one and, and then to act on that. And it's to remember God and to act on that relationship. And evidently we forgot pretty quick, like Adam, it's in our DNA. And then God sends the Ezra Konegdo, the warrior woman, to help him remember <laughs> and right. to, to, to act on that um, in his relationship with God. Yeah, so I'm, can I ask yeah. one question? I don't know how this works. Are you in charge? No, no, we're good. Okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. Anybody got a question? Yeah, so know. my question is, if you bring up Genesis and, and God engaging man, we talk about this story quite, quite frequently in men's circles. Um, but the way that the church deals with failure, the way that Christendom deals with failure, when I look at the Bible, it, do, it just doesn't seem to match up. I mean, we referenced Tony Cheek earlier that when failure happens, there's a calling to another town where we can just hit reset in our brokenness and start over and hope nobody finds out this time. Uh, that's not what God did when things went sideways in the garden. He had yeah. a very different plan of, of restoration. I'm, I'm curious to get your answer you know, as you've seen me personally deal with my own failures and you have people that come into your office or sit on that deck and are dealing with failure and you're trying to get them to a place of growth. How do we help that happen? Yeah, I think the just the first thing that has to happen, because the model has been, you know, you take a guy and he shows up, uh, he comes to Jesus. And then we just I always call it. It's like we're just going to put a robe on, on the pig. Right. We're going to clean him up on the outside. Um, I always say when I came to Jesus, uh, I became a good Baptist and I quit drinking, cussing and smoking, which for a 20 year old frat boy at Mississippi State, that, that was, was a big, big deal. deal. Yeah, that was serious. Right. <laughs> you were serious yeah, about Jesus. I, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's all I needed to do. And I did it. Um, but the thing that I didn't do uh, was deal with all the stuff uh, that I grew up in. Um, and, and if we don't deal with that, it's going to come out sideways. Mm -hmm. And mine certainly came out sideways into a full-blown uh, sexual addiction, uh, all hidden, all secret, very involved in church, um, you know, house, picket fence. Sunday school. Two children, dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sunday school, uh, teachers, uh, class presidents of our Sunday school. I mean, it looked, man, looked good on the outside. However all the stuff was still there and it was just manifesting and acting it out. It came out sideways. And that's one of the things that I see so often in church is like, it's just come down here, get Jesus. And now you're good and go serve in the parking lot ministry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the and, wallet ministry. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That, better one. That's the main thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Not picking on things. Yeah. Anyway. Just real. We're telling the truth. Um, and I always say, if I was in that position, I would be 10 times worse than um, any of them. Can confirm. Because I like my stuff. And I'm so I, glad I, you didn't become I, a pastor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? 
uh, I would have been good because I know how to shame people. Man, anyway. do you? Yeah. And so I think it's this idea tying it back into what is growth? How do we become healthy emotionally, healthy spiritually? I mean, that's the idea of wholeness. You know, Jesus talks about it just about every time he opened his mouth, this movement to wholeness and, and maturity. And so often um, what I've seen is just, it's not that. It's just more kind of show up, do the deal, and you're good. Yeah. And never really deal with the real stuff that has to be dealt with if you're going to mature and if you're going to grow. Yeah, I mean, statistics are showing us that people are becoming less and less interested in organized religion. And this is actually positive news. They're becoming more and more interested in the sacred text of whatever religion is out there that is being offered to them. And we believe that, uh, and I'm sure most of the men here would also agree too, Christianity has a beautiful, rich, sacred text that has within it the actions and the teachings of Jesus Christ, who was the perfect man, the perfect masculine presence that we can learn from. And when we see him interact with people, uh, not to get, I almost got a little preachy there, uh, all right. stand up, we'll sing the third and fourth stanza. Um, when we see, <laughs> Jesus, is away. that's right. When we see Jesus interact with people, they come to him with one problem or one issue or one question. And then Jesus is able to engage that interior world to force them into a place of awareness, because that's what love does. That's what love at, at deer camp does. That's what love at the hangar does. It forces you into a place of awareness instead of saying, well, I know it's okay that you've got one hand tied behind your back, but we've got a whole one arm ministry. You can join and everybody there loves you. No, let's untie that hand behind your back and let's let you live a purpose. Jesus just cut straight to the heart of it. Where are your accusers? Jesus asked. Let's get right down to the heart of this. Let me give you a voice. Jesus says, yes, I know you don't have a husband. You slept with a lot of men. That's getting right to the heart of things. Yeah, I know you want to ask me about religious stuff, but what you really need to do is, is sell your things. That's what you need to do. Yeah. yeah um, and I think that's, you know, it, it's one of the things, I mean, Jesus was, is the master counselor, right? Mm. Um, you know, when Jesus uh, restores Peter, um, you know, that's, that's one of the greatest examples of group therapy, right? He didn't pull Peter over behind the boat saying, okay, Peter, you know, you're, we're good. You're good. It's all good. Mm -hmm. No, he did it in the group and he recreated the exact scene of when Peter denied Jesus three times. And he walks in through this healing process and he heals Peter's shame. And shame, I believe, is the biggest thing that keeps so many men um, from living the life, the truth, and the way that Jesus offers. Because uh, we believe we're not worthy. You know, the enemy is the father of lies. And we believe those messages mm -hmm. somehow from our past actions, uh, our degraded thoughts, whatever it is. And then we're just kind of like taking up space in a pew. That's right. And if in our family lives, with our children, with our wives, in our work lives, uh, with our coworkers, and at our churches, we don't feel seen, then we're already losing. And we go into coping mechanisms that help us deal with everything that's going on inside that we don't like because we have very effective ways to push that stuff down. There's a reason why every man in this room understands when you push it down, 
we know what that means. Yeah, I, I know how I push it down. I push it down with anger. I push it down with pornography. I push it down with that fourth and fifth drink every night. We understand that, but most of that, I believe, most of that is because we don't feel seen. We don't feel understood. And uh, my position in my life is I had a very unhealthy relationship with the unlovable parts of myself. Mm. That was a big, big thing for me. Uh, so whenever I was triggered and I felt embarrassed about those unlovable parts, I became big and religious and angry and even smarter and a larger vocabulary. If I start using big words, somebody needs to ask me how I've been triggered because I'm trying to prove, hey, I need to be seen. I need to be seen. You know, if I initiate um, sex with my wife and it doesn't go the way that I wanted it to go, then I start screaming about how I need to be seen. That's really the essence of a large part. And this isn't every man's issue, but it was my man's issue. I don't feel seen. And when I am seen, I don't know how to handle that because the parts that you see embarrass me. Yeah, we want to hide it. We want to hide it. And we'll sabotage it too. Yes, but then I had to understand, and this the Deer Camp community taught me this. When you go back to that original story, God shows up, he starts asking questions. He gives the man a voice, but it doesn't just stop there. He is willing to sacrifice life of an animal to provide for the son that he loves very much. He's willing to engage in sacrifice inside this environment. And how, how foolish of me personally to believe that I could go longer than three chapters in my life without failing <laughs> if Adam could do it. Oh, yeah. He was and, in a perfect environment. And he had the perfect father. Yes. Yeah. And the perfect and, wife. And look what they did. And look what they did. But yeah. I think, well, man, I could go at least nine or ten chapters yeah. before <laughs> I fail. That's not how it works. No. We all have the same sickness. Yeah. Which and, means we can all pursue the same medicine. Yeah. And, it's you know, Scripture is so clear. Uh, it's like in my weakness, in my failure, in all of that stuff, that's where God shows up. And we believe you know that somehow it's just the opposite uh i've got to be good perfect i've got to perform and as long as i do that man i'm good with god isn't it interesting that the man that you're referencing paul was probably as i scanned the bible the most religious man in there uh, yeah and the way that god and he was a serial killer exactly yeah. and the way that god transformed his story is that he struck him blind yeah which allowed him to stop focusing on the outside and forced him to focus on the inside. And we would think in that dark room down straight street, Paul got better because God did something else supernatural. What he actually did was started to heal Paul relationally. Yeah. He sent a man to go put a touch on that man to start his journey to healing. And then we skip this in church a lot of times because we don't understand it, but Paul spent years years inside of a community of men preparing for the ministry that he did later and we kind of want to skip all that because we've got to get everything straight in a 30-minute sermon mm, yeah um and you know that thread through scripture it, the idea of how men need other men i mean it it's it's there from beginning to end mm -hmm. um uh even even the proverbs 31 passage of the godly woman right the husband is mentioned once. And where is the husband in that passage? He's sitting at the city gates with the elders, wise men of the land. And boy, that wife feels loved. She feels safe. She feels secure. And that's what it takes, I believe. Yes. 
So we would say foundationally, uh, we could talk about broken systems all morning. And we do. We need to call those things out. I think the enemy has used our, oh, this is a dangerous word. The enemy has used our cowardice to keep us from speaking against religious systems that are broken so that those religious systems can continue and affect generations that come, come after us. Look, I would not want to destroy the church. That's the exact opposite of what I would want and you would want. We want to restore the church to engage men relationally because I don't think the United States of America knows what it's like yet for men to be engaged in the spiritual growth journey that encompasses everything and starts to hand Jesus to people instead of our institutional construct. Yeah, and you know, this is not a new uh, phenomenon. Um, you know, the Salvation Army was started because, um, what's his name, William Booth, uh, men were not engaged in church. So he started the Salvation Army, right? That appeals to men. Um, and then the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. That's why the guy started that. It was because men were not engaged in church. And that, again, that was 1800s. Mm -hmm. So this is not new. No, it's not new. And I, but I think what is new right now is that God is pushing to the fore the second half of the message. Yes, we as men are broken. And God says, and I can put that brokenness back together and restore it. And you can do incredible things with your life if you will engage. Yeah. And it, it, it always happens only in community. I mean, even the Lord's Prayer, it's not an I, me. It, you go read the Lord's Prayer. It's our, it's we, it's us. It, Jesus speaks to community, connection, uh, brotherhood, uh, one another. I mean, it, it's there throughout the New Testament. Yeah, we're learning very rapidly that we're getting the exact results that our system is designed to produce. And we're not okay with that. We're not okay with men being left behind or anesthetized or inoculated in church services to, to, the, to the wild. We discussed this the other day, the wild and dangerous and beautiful heart of God that has been on a rescue mission since the first failure. And we're still failing, and he's still rescuing. Amen. Um, we are in a war, um, and it's it's not with Russia. <laughs> uh, we have a, we have an enemy that's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I think you know when you and I first met, it's just you know that that spirit meets spirit, and just the heart for reaching men, uh, leading men to freedom, uh, seeing lives changed, and then. You know, it's generational change mm -hmm. as men begin to experience the true freedom in Christ, uh, becoming their true selves in Christ. We talk about that, you know, in Bible speak, they call it flesh and walking in the spirit. But it's really your old false self, the things that you did that kind of work for you um, versus your true self in Christ, who he created you to be from the beginning. And then life happened. And we got sideways and sidetracked mm -hmm. yeah yeah my story in particular is that the real danger in those coping mechanisms is that they almost work oh, every time until they don't <laughs> yes they almost work every time but it's it's so refreshing to be around a group of men that are willing to, to peel out of bed and stop before they go to work or tune in to teach them before they go to work to say that jesus christ is the solution that does work when we engage who he actually was on planet Earth, he's the solution. We've just kind of messed up presenting that solution over the past couple of generations.
yeah, you know, Dallas Willard uh, always talked about this idea of discipleship it is really uh, we are apprentices with Jesus, right? We're learning as an apprentice with the master. And the only way that happens is with, with other men that, that are further along that journey and you begin to see and do and you follow the model that's laid out for us with Jesus with skin on, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Wouldn't you say that one of the first steps, too, is being willing to, to be offended? Uh, I absolutely, because uh, I'm an equal opportunity offender. offender you yeah. absolutely are, but I think it's a, a critical part of the journey. If we're unwilling to be offended, then we're going to have a lot of trouble with Jesus. Yeah, because that's kind of what he did a lot repeatedly. Yeah, even with his closest friends, uh, like, "Hey, Peter, hold my wine. Watch this." Exactly, and he rolls in, calls one of his best friends, essentially the personification of evil. Yeah. The thing that is the most against his plan, one of his best friends. Oh, yeah. And that relationship survived. Absolutely. Jesus was willing to offend. He was willing to offend his friends. He was willing to offend the religious because he had this commitment, even to the end of his life, a commitment to presenting the truth. And how would our communities change? How would my life change if behind my front door, I had that sort of tenacious commitment to presenting and also to being willing to accept mm. reality and the truth. Yeah, it really is. We talk about a lot, the idea of feedback. Um, and if you're not in a relationship with somebody on an intimate level, and I'm not talking about your wife, intimacy is just simply knowing and being known has nothing to do with sex, but you've got to have that level of friendship in order for somebody to know you and to see your blind spots uh, and to know your your frailties, shortcomings, character defects, and then when they see it, they can look at you and say, "Dude, dude, I love you, but man, you know, you, you let, let's talk about this." Um, but if you don't have that level of friendship, you're never going to get honest feedback, right? And I believe that feedback, the, the, a man's level of maturity, is based on his ability or inability to receive feedback from safe people. Yeah, and I was initially very unwilling. I, look, I, I spent a lot of mornings after deer camp at Primos in those blue booths griping about Phil Harden. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah, dude, I do, that, I do that every week with him yeah. at Broken Egg. Yeah, oh, well, you're, you're just a jerk. I was genuinely confused. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, <laughs> So, true yeah those men were patient with me and asked me questions like well why is this such a big deal you know why are we together five times over the past five weeks and you're still talking about phil harden who why did this guy trigger you so much I'm like well who wouldn't be triggered it took, it took five weeks to get out of my excuses and my explanations about how justified i was mm. before i faced myself like, wow there is something here God's trying to do something in my life. And I, we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but here was the danger for me. When you talk about intimacy and, and it not being about sex, what had happened to me is I had set up my marriage as the source of validation in my life. Mm. That, that's where I got validation. Dangerous place. Yes. And specifically physical validation, because that's what I learned growing up in Northeast Jackson. That was the commodity for validation. So I'm, I'm forcing that in, in my marriage. That's why I'm receiving that. I don't understand that intimacy is larger than that. 
So when I have these big questions, I don't even think it's possible to go to the world of men to get that answer. So I'm for almost 20 years forcing that validation and growth question onto my spouse. And that wasn't fair and it wasn't right. And I kept doing it and the church wasn't getting in my way doing it. In fact, the church was telling me that the two leave and cleave, you know, oh. the two becoming one. And oh, yeah. talk about taking things out of context in the Bible. We do that a lot. That's even in our presentation today. But that allowed me to say to my wife, this is your responsibility. And I wonder if we had more men asking that question, whose responsibility is it really? Mm. I mean, when Jesus goes to heal someone, there's this one time where he goes, do you really want to get well? Mm. And I think people are confused by that question. But what Jesus was saying is, listen, if I heal you, you can't just be this invalid that's laying by this pool on this mat all day long. If I heal you, you're going to have to get up and do something. And you need to be able to say that you're ready for that. It's always a call to action. Absolutely. You got to do something. Absolutely. Uh, yep. So, man, we could do this. I, I could do this all morning. You can uh, listen to you all day. I know. It's great. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to play the, the tape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank goodness we recorded this. It's so ego. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we did a great job of, of going through the handout. Clearly, yeah. Maybe we should zip through this. I yeah. don't know. We'll oh, yeah. fill it out for you. Yeah. We'll yeah. give it to you. Yeah. 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 Figure it out. You're, Action, you're, you're grown this. men. Yeah, that's right. Action, go do this. You know, go go buy the sheet next time. Yeah. So, um, man, uh, this is this is just fun. Um, yeah. yeah. So, will you uh, kind of close us out and pray for Pray first as we break up. Yeah, I'll do that. God, we're grateful for uh, your master plan that included restoration after failure. So I pray for each man that will be exposed to this teaching, each man here, that you would validate us supernaturally, that you would move in relationally. God, we acknowledge that the things that are broken in relationship have to be healed in relationship. And even if we don't know how to ask all of us individually, let's do that collectively God, we need you to be the showing up God that asks the perfect question and provides perfectly for us. As we go throughout our day, we pray against the plans of the enemy that are always to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to neuter, and to paralyze. But we know that without you, we are sunk in that fight. So we ask God that you would bring your holiness to the rest of our stories, specifically today. As we engage with the world around us, God, help us to be the men that you've designed us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's fun.